This is the Roller Coaster Podcast, and I'm your host, Lucy Q. Life is a wild ride. It has twists and turns. It's scary, exciting, and downright fun. So throw your head back, arms in the air, and come along with me for the ride. If you have ever been through a divorce, you understand the feelings that it brings of being lost and overwhelmed. You may struggle to understand who you are post-divorce, not to mention the pain and the guilt that you might be harboring while still trying to be a mom. You know that you need to be the best version of yourself, but where do you even begin? Joining me today is Erin Breeze who pulls from her work in women's leadership, culture building, and conflict transformation, and her own diverse divorce journey to create a different way to approach life after divorce. Welcome to the roller coaster, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So can you maybe start off by sharing what your journey has been and how it helped you develop this new outlook for post-divorce? Absolutely. I'd love to. And really, it, you know, as with a lot of, a lot of times in life, the thing that we end up creating comes from that lived experience. And so I, I am divorced and started to create the tools here at Happy Home as I was going through my own journey and realizing, huh, I have a toolkit from my, my prior work, my professional work, as you mentioned, was in culture building and women's leadership and change management. And I saw that I had a way of having a positive outlook in the midst of this storm that I saw so many other women not have. And so decided to, okay, like how do I share what I happen to have just because I've spent 20 some years in these fields? How do I put it together? and tailor it for this journey. Um, and I also lived through divorce. My, my parents divorced when I was 13. And so it really was both this like, okay, how do I, I'm, I'm getting myself through it and I wanna share it with my peers, whoever else is also going through it. It also always has had this eye on like what my mom could have benefited from because it is such a huge, life disruption. And I call it a divine disruption because I do feel that if it's here for us, it's, it's on purpose for us. And that isn't easy in the beginning to, to, to sort of maybe accept or to find, it takes some time to, to, to find your way through. Of course, it's a big disruption. And also in the work that I do, I see over and over with the women that I support, how if we're willing to, to look at it from that lens, it's bringing us so much. Um, so really that was the motivation was how to put together tools, strategies and approach to support other women. Um, and really the whole time thinking about, for me, my passion is supporting women so that they can be supporting their kids because I could see from my own experience growing up, the absence of that support for my mom and, and our family. But that can't be easy. I mean, in the midst of this chaotic storm that you find yourself in, to keep looking positive, because, you know, as I mentioned before, I'm supporting a friend that's going through a divorce. And I just see it's just one thing after another. And I can feel the overwhelm and it's not even happening to me. Yeah. So what are some of the things that, you know, women can do when they find themselves in that situation? to keep looking forward, to keep looking to the future, to the day that they can start the next chapter. Absolutely. And I definitely, you know, one of the lessons that divorce brought me was getting comfortable asking for help. I'm a hyper independent to a fault style of person, right? And generally that looks really good from the outside, right? Independent and like positive outlook and like can just, I'm fine. I was always the person like, what do you need? I'm fine, but what do you need? And I can, you know, my work ethic through running, I used to run a nonprofit. I could kind of work around the clock. Like that's my nature. Well, you, that isn't sustainable for anyone. And it's, a hundred, it's absolutely not sustainable if that's your way of being when divorce happens. You have to, it, it just, there's no way to do, to be in that state. And so I think 
part of it is building a team around you. And so I talk a lot about that with clients is like, what's, who's your circle? And, and it can be uncomfortable to ask for support and ask for help. It's very, can be very vulnerable, but I find that that lesson begins like often for a lot of us, that's sort of the beginning of making this a positive transformation is saying, okay, this is huge. I'm not going to fight against the fact that it's huge. I'm never here to talk anybody out of the, the, this, the hugeness of the disruption, but it's a, it, if we allow it, it is a transformation, but we don't need to go it alone. And I do see a lot of women adding this pressure on top of all this pressure that they somehow are supposed to go it alone. And I think that comes from a lot of the conditioning we've received. We're supposed to be perfect at a lot of things in partnership and as mothers and in, for working, like seamlessly juggling all the things, right? So we add and add and add pressure to ourselves. So I would say the first thing is like noticing, is that one of the things coming up for you? Are you getting support and are you building a team around you? Because you deserve it and you really need it. You need to have your, you know, from whatever, some of it is what you would think of. There could be a role for a counselor and a therapist. Of course, I'm a big fan of having a mentor or a coach or a guide because that's what I do, right? But you need tools, you need strategies, you need friends like you, um, you need your, your A-team. Um, and that would include like wellness and health and, but really taking a minute to go, okay, am I going it alone and <laughs> being honest with yourself? Am I going it alone or am I building that team? And that's a place where I would invite people to start, move yourself into a community, right? Which is, I know we'll get to that later, but one of the things that I offer is like, come join us, right? Be among others going through this. Don't go it alone. But asking for help, whether you're going through divorce or not, because I can completely 100% relate to you when you say, no, I can get it all done. You know, you keep going, you keep going and you use that effort called fine. Um, asking for help is never easy, regardless of what your circumstances are, because we have a tendency to attach to it that if we're asking for help that we see that as a weakness in ourselves. But when our friends ask us, that's totally. perfectly okay. But, 100%. you know, Lord forbid I ask for help because that's showing that like I can't handle life. So do you have, you know, a, a strategy that women can use? You know, maybe it's just how to start off the conversation saying, hey, I'm not okay. I actually do need help. Yeah, I mean, and I think we also want to be really conscious of who, from whom we're asking, right? Because I want us to be self-protective around, this is a big life change. And I, one of the things that I coach women on is like, you want to boot some people out of your circle, right? They're not very helpful right now, right? So we want to do an inventory of a lot of things and it, it, it does include who are we asking for help? So, so yes, yeah, some of this is we just have to be brave and find, start, start with the person that you trust and, you know, really sees you and wants the best for you, right? Whoever that is, if it's a, a sibling or a parent or a close friend and you got to It's like a muscle, like any other muscle. I think it's like, we just have to practice it. And we want to start where we set ourselves up to succeed with people who we trust and really are there for us and let them know first. And I promise with time, it gets easier to allow in more support. Um, but I do want us to be thoughtful of like who we're asking, right? Because one of the things when I say like boot people out of our circle, we can, sometimes our friends and family can be the most upset on our behalf about all kinds of things, right? So that is not a good strategy. Like we don't want to enroll people in our fury or in our pain who aren't equipped with tools and strategies to help move us out because that's one of the best ways to stay stuck in that reality is to have lots of conversations with people enrolled on your behalf in fury or in unfairness or in this shouldn't have happened kind of stuff that can keep us stuck. Um, but so to, but the first step really is start small, ask one, let one person in that closest friend or family member, and then build from there and be conscious of who you're asking and do move toward people who you want to build a new peer group. You just do. There's so much that shows us anytime you want to, you want to grow through something or achieve something, right? You want to make friends with people who are already doing the thing that you want to do, right? So you want to move yourself 
closer to those who, when you look around, are thriving after divorce, or if you're not facing divorce, whatever it is in your life, right? That you, this is, some of this is just general strategy, whatever it is you want to accomplish, like befriend those people, put yourself in their, in their space, right? So that you can more quickly kind of immerse yourself in what's working for them and find what then will work for you as well. And on the topic of removing people, from your life, you know, often as couples, our friends are other couples. And, you know, I, again, I had this conversation with my friend where I said, you have to be very careful who you speak to because they're either your friend or his friend. People will choose sides and you have to tread very carefully until you know exactly who you can trust 100%. If you're not sure that that person is 100% supporting you, then you're only inviting potential problems into the situation because you have people that they tend to play both sides. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, part of what my mission is, is to transform not just the experience for those of us who are living it, but also our conversation around divorce, right? And even this idea that everybody's going to choose sides isn't, doesn't have to be that way, but it usually is that way. Usually, yeah, it, it usually <laughs> is that way. That's a reflection more on what people see as possible. It's just old paradigms, run, like run amok right? That there's somehow something wrong has happened. Somebody's to blame. Somebody has failed. And therefore we must choose sides. Like that's even old, old thinking, right? And then what happens, because this is just what the brain does, we find evidence to support that. So most of us are, can much more quickly think of those really entrenched situations, right? Versus examples of people who actually have some friends who are able to be in everybody's lives because they're part of potentially the family's life, right? Um, for the first time this summer, I had a, a sleepover with my former in-laws. They live in Wyoming. I was back visiting family in Colorado. I currently live in California. And I was aware of how like unusual that is. And that's unfortunate, right? That I could stay with my daughters and their grandparents, my ex's parents, right? Because we're all a family. So I think part of this too is about we each get to choose how this is going to go, right, for ourselves. And of course, we can only control ourselves. So what our ex and their family and all the things like we all, yes, there's certain realities of what may or may not be possible in that reality of what those others are going to, you know, allow and participate in. But I just want to say that, like, even that idea of choosing sides, it doesn't have to be so black and white. And part of what I find really encouraging and inspiring in the work is like, there are more and more examples that really show the gray and how this can go, um, both for the individuals involved, but then ultimately this is about the children if there are kids involved, which of course is my focus. So, so the women that I work with are all raising kids with this other person. And how do we really create different possibilities? It's really about different possibilities. Um, but I agree with you for sure. In the beginning, especially when there's so much um, it is, there is this huge disruption, this explosion and lots of turbulence and all the things that we kind of, and I think it's like good life advice in general. It's sort of the four agreements, right? It's like be impeccable with your word. One of the four agreements, it's just be conscious of who you're speaking with. And, and I couldn't agree more. If people are involved, want to be thoughtful about what you're sharing for your sake and for theirs, so that everybody can be as comfortable as possible as things start to settle in. So you've mentioned that you're trying to change the conversations around divorce. What are some of the other topics that you're looking at, you know, changing that conversation around? Yeah, well, the first one is the sense that divorce means failure. A lot of the suffering that I see is because people feel that they failed. And so that's often where I begin in the work is really looking at somebody's relationship to whether they they're, they're living out a sense of failure. Um, and then for moms, there's also living out this sense of guilt that now they're, they're, that divorce somehow has all of these less thans for their children, right? So those would be two really big ones. The first is this looking at divorce. And I say this often, it's not a failure. And this whole idea that we can reduce human relationship down to pass fail, it just, to me, it's a, just a ridiculous thing to attempt it's to like apply. 
Well, it's like blaming a tree because it's fall and the leaves are falling <laughs> off. It's oh, like, I love that. It's just going to happen. You know, it's right. not, the tree didn't do anything wrong. It's just a season. It's just a season, but we yet, for lots of reasons we won't get into now that have to do with like the institution of marriage and the histories here, right? Yeah. <laughs> like there's this idea that marriage is measured by longevity, right? Because originally that's all that really mattered was the longevity of the legal contract. But we have evolved way past that. You look at yeah. how many people that are living in, you know, what they consider loveless or sexless marriages. Just because you've been together for 40 years doesn't totally. mean that it's a yeah. healthy relationship. A hundred percent not. And so one of the, I often say, and it's not easy to hear, especially in the early days, but not all marriages are intended to last. How do yeah. I know? Because they don't. Right? <laughs> so I'm not a psychic here reading the future. They don't. And so yeah. we know that they aren't intended to last. And that's one of the things that's like a, a hallmark belief in my approach is really anchoring into that everything that's happening in our lives is here for us, not happening to us, which is not how it feels in the beginning. So I don't, if somebody's listening and you're newly going through this, please know there's, you don't need to feel that yet. Take some time, but I promise it's possible to even feel that your divorce is here for you and that the journey that's available to you now, this awakening that divorce can bring is, is really this it is an invitation to awaken, but it does, if we're trapped in thinking, and I love how your podcast, how you explore mindset in so many different ways, right? But we have to look at how we're thinking. What meaning are we making? What story are we telling about divorce? Because if the story all day long is I'm a failure, then we're going to experience the feeling of I'm a failure, right? And so we need some help to sort of, to look at our, the thought process, the mindset around divorce and what's the story that I'm telling myself because mean the experience that we live, of course, is completely um, sort of, we're manufacturing our lived experience based on the story we're telling in our brain about our life, right? So we have to look at that. So, so really looking at this idea, it's not a failure. Your marriage was just not intended to last. And I promise within about 20 minutes with anybody who's going through divorce, I can help you see why it was not a place for you to stay. Nobody gets divorced if they were in a thriving marriage where the, all of their needs and their purpose and their safety and their joy, like all those things, there is something, otherwise it wouldn't be where it is, right? And so we have to sort of work there. And then the other one, as um, I was saying earlier, is this like whole mom guilt thing that happens that now moving forward, my children's lives are inherently less than because of divorce. And I love talking about divorce advantages because I see lots of them and I feel like there are advantages that even our married or single friends can learn from as well. So what are some of those divorce advantages? Yeah, the first one, you know, we're all familiar with like some of the pain of divorce is all the legal process and the separating of assets and homes and all these things, right? It really requires this huge life inventory. But to me, that's actually this gift of having a pause in your adult life, especially if you are an adult with children, to do that type of an inventory. Because I hear from so many women, and I think you've shared this too about yourself, that like partnership and motherhood can really create a fog of who am I? <laughs> what, yeah. what, what were my passions? <laughs> I, and it was, and it was just, you know, you do get caught up in the busyness of life. And, you know, I, according to some people, I got married young. Um, and I don't even know if I ever really asked myself those questions. And, you know, you get married and you, you know, you're buying a home, you're building your home together, and you're having kids. And all of a sudden, you wake up and you're like, what? <laughs> what, exactly. what is it? Who am I? Yeah. And so what I would offer to anyone listening, divorce or not, how frequently are you checking in and doing that type of a life inventory of how did I get here? Is this where I want to be? Is the trajectory the one that I want to be on, right? And divorce requires us and sort of forces us into that. 
And it's for our own benefit to take time. And especially as women, for all the reasons you just said, very often the, the demands of meeting all the other needs inside partnership and inside motherhood means that we have dimmed our own light or put ourselves on the back burner in some way. And to kind of go planetary for a minute, like we need all of our, our energy and our ideas and our innovations. We need it from women. We can't have us not doing the thing that we're here to do, right? So there really is, that's the first advantage that we can share with anybody is doing that type of a life inventory. Am I where I want to be? Is this, is this, is this, is there room for me in this life that I have created that I'm participating in? Because often we actually haven't created a whole lot of room for ourselves in our own lives if we have a look at it like that. Um, the second one is then, and these are all the letter I because I like, I really love alliteration. <laughs> it helps me remember what I'm going to talk about. And also, I like that I, you know, this is about going inward and doing our own inner work and also putting ourselves front and center. And that alone for women is like sometimes uncomfortable and not familiar. Like, oh, I'm the priority. I resource myself now. I invest in myself and my own growth and healing, right? First and foremost, and then I take care of everybody else. Um, so the second I, there's three that I like to talk about with divorce advantages is intuition. So we do the inventory and then we're like, oh no, I don't know who I am or what I want to do, right? Do I know who, like, okay, I'm ready for the, like, the memo. Where's the memo, right? So the intuition piece is like, okay, we got to cultivate that. And that's, you know, not something we do in an afternoon, depending on where we are with that, the answers to those questions. We do often have some work to do to reconnect with, okay, how do I answer? How do I find my answers to those questions? So, and that again is something all of us, I believe, want to be doing in our lives, inside a relationship or outside, doesn't matter, is really making sure that our connection to our own intuition is really strong because that's how we rule people in and out of our lives that are good, you know, matches for our growth or not. That's how we rule it in and out opportunities and all kinds of things. But if that's not really strong, we often, especially as women, tend to go with the, the will, the strongest will, right? Whoever's needs are loudest, right? And before we know it, we're, there's again, not very much room for ourselves. And then um, the, third in, the third one is intention. So especially in divorce families, being really clear about what your intention is, goes is, is like essential to being successful. I think kind of in any relationship, but especially with your former partner, if you're raising children and also just with your children, being really clear on what your intention is because, and one of the examples I give to sort of demonstrate this is like, I will have clients who get really upset by the response they get from their ex. They might've said the perfect thing in a text or an email and yet, get like a, an activated response and it creates so much tension and drama and all the things. And when we look at further, yes, the words might've been exactly neutral, but the intention is to get that other person to either change what they're doing or make an apology or right or wrong or acknowledge all the pain they caused or like there's some other thing at work and people feel that people feel your intention. So part of it is like really owning and being honest with like, okay, what's, what is my intention here? And using that as a practice. I mean, I won't send an email to my ex or a text without checking. Is my intention aligned with what I want it to have, you know, to have the best possible outcome for the family. Right. And so again, I'm using the divorce example, but for all of us, get really intentional about your interactions with people and your communication so that you can have, because I promise you'll have way better impact <laughs> and like response to you if you're really aligned with that. Um, and you start to notice places that you need to do some inner work if, if you're out of alignment, right? So again, it all comes back to the eye, right? To the self. It does. And, you know, your three eyes of inventory, intuition, and intention you know, whether it is divorce that you're going through, or, you know, what I went through was basically just hitting rock bottom. It was through implementing all of those three things that I was able to create the turnaround. And although, and this is the thing, while you're in that moment of pain and desperation, 
you may think that what we're saying right now is just a load of BS, but I can 100% say that if you do the work, and this is speaking from my experience and all the people that I've interviewed on the podcast, when you do the work, your life truly transforms. And although the person that's sitting in pain may not believe who they will become, who they do eventually become, they can look back and go, wow, look how far I've come. Absolutely. And that's, you know, we were talking about some of the the ways that I want to change the divorce conversation and sort of the myths to bust. And I think you're touching on such a powerful one, which is this idea that life is supposed to be without struggle somehow, right? Because most of us would do just what you're saying. We point to the rock bottom or the really hard things as these like places where we found who we were and grew and all of this. I mean, let's face it. Disney didn't write into the fairy tales that Cinderella hits rock bottom. I mean, nobody wrote yeah. that story. Yeah. We're, we're sold these, these stories, these picture perfect stories of what life and marriage is. And then when we start to encounter the challenges, we either A, think we're broken, B, think we're failure or C, you know, you just give up. And yeah. that's just not that's not real life. Real life is not that Disney happily ever after. Right. And I love, I mean, it's one of the other things that within the divorce community, I do point to as this another advantage. Now this one, you have to have the divorce for this particular advantage, (laughs) but it's that your divorce can be, but for you, it could be whatever it is, right. That, that, that represents rock, what rock bottom means to you is like, talking to our kids, telling them about that journey, right? So that they understand it is not this, like the Hollywood, the Disney, that that's not what we're measuring a happy, fulfilling life by, that we're actively rejecting that and showing our vulnerability, showing our disappointment when things didn't go how we want. But then through that, our resilience and how to face adversity, all the things that the end of the day, we want our kids, we say anyway, to know how to do, right, is to, to rise up even when things happen, right? So we can use those as I think a part of the most important part of our sort of parenting duty, right, is an obligation is to help our kids see mistakes are and like all of this, this is actually what life is about. It's the most, that's where the beauty comes from is in all of these moments. And it's definitely been something I've been intentional with sharing with our kids. Our kids are young adults. They're 19 and 22. So, you know, we do have these conversations. I have shared with them, you know, they've seen what I've been through and I've shared with them and I've even shared with them. Hey, look, I wasn't at my best at this point in time. I let you down and having, you know, being vulnerable with your children and having those conversations and, it has brought us such a close and unique relationship that, um, you know, we wouldn't have if, if I wasn't able to be vulnerable like that. Absolutely. It's such a gift. It is a gift. Now, Aaron, as we wrap up here, um, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I definitely want anybody who's listening, who is facing divorce and going through the turbulence to know that you're not alone and you don't have to go it alone. And so I'd love if there, if this resonates, my Facebook, my free group is, is here for them and for them to move into community. Um, So really for anybody going through the hard stuff, don't do it alone. And there is, there's so much support um, for the journey. So for sure to do that. And that group is, is it okay if I give you oh, some yeah, of those? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's called Happy Home Divorce Family Thrives is my free public Facebook group. Um, I also have a new little, I call it, it's a, it's a podcast. I call it a car cast because I do it in my car on one of my commutes um, to take my girls to long story. But my, I live in Long Beach. My ex is now relocated to Redondo. So I have a quite a commute now as part of our back to school life. Um, so I decided to turn it into this, um, and that's called drive time, thrive time for divorced moms and kind of wherever people listen, they're welcome to tune in. And I, I just share lots of tips. It's 
the whole point is added insights and inspiration for the road of life. So especially anybody going through this would love for them to have those supports. And on my website at erinebreeze.com, there's a link to a free masterclass of mine that if they want to get deeper into the, the shifts, I call them the five shifts to create a happy home that um, I'd love for them to take part in that as well. If you're looking to connect with Aaron, make sure you check out the show notes. I will have all of the links in there. And Aaron, thank you so much for joining me, joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Roller Coaster Podcast. Want to chat or share your ideas about today's show? Pop me an email at hello at the rollercoasterpodcast.com. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Roller Coaster Podcast. Our theme song, Roller Coaster, was performed by The Lucky Setback. Audio editing by the one and only Jeff Quigley of Quigley Creator. Life is like a roller coaster, baby, baby. I want to ride, ride, ride. Life is like a roller coaster, baby. This is the Roller Coaster Podcast, and I'm your host, Lucy Q. Life is a wild ride. It has twists and turns. It's scary, exciting, and downright fun. So throw your head back, arms in the air, and come along with me for the ride. Our comfort zones are like a cozy blanket. They keep us warm and safe, but that cozy blanket comes with a price. It's a weight that's preventing you from improving. It stops you from achieving all of the things that you're capable of, and that can make you miserable. Joining me today is David Wood, who has spent over 20 years coaching thousands of entrepreneurs in 15 countries on how to do what matters, get there faster, and be extraordinary. Welcome to the roller coaster, David. Thank you. And I really like how you said that, Lucy. Do what matters, get there faster, and be extraordinary. That pretty much covers it. If, if, if my clients hit those three, then <laughs> I'm very happy indeed. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty as charged of getting in my own way because of exactly the, what we mentioned and that's staying in our comfort zone. But to start, I'm curious as to find out where your passion for helping people has come from. Uh, yeah, thank you. I think it's because as a kid, I was never asked, hey, how do you feel about that? That wasn't something we did in, in Australia and particularly with boys. And, uh, and I had a, a tragedy when I was, I was little. I watched my little sister killed in a traffic accident. And I think what happened is I got very left-brained and very good at numbers and systems and business. I got paid to go to college. I got um, a job in New York consulting to Fortune 100 companies. I figured I had it made. But then I discovered personal growth. I wasn't happy in my marriage. And someone said, why don't you go and try this? this course. So even though they all wore name tags and they smiled way too much, I decided that um, I'd, I'd stick it out for three days. And fortunately, they cracked my heart open. They cracked my cynicism. And so the last 25 years have been about catching up for me. I've been sitting with teachers and gurus and doing courses and doing things that would make your hair curl. And um, it's like I discovered life again. So I like to work with business owners because I understand business and money and systems. And, you know, they're handling the whole shop and they're um, handling so many different things. 
but I work with them not just on money and business. I work with them on how your relationships, how's your authenticity, are you expressing yourself? Are you asking for everything that you want? Are you saying no to the things that don't work for you? That's the stuff that really gets me jazzed. So I think that's why I, I coach is because for a long time I was missing so much of life. And then as I discover these, these new areas, I'm like, I, I just want to pass it on to people. I can relate to your story. Um, I'm personally, I was very late to the personal growth game. I think I was 45, 44, 45, when I hit, uh, you know, a time of crisis and it led me to personal growth. And, you know, you mentioned about discovering life again. Um, I'm not even sure if I understood life up until that point, because we get caught in this, this habit of doing what society expects us to do. You know, you mentioned earlier about nobody asks you how you feel. Well, in the same context, nobody asks you what you really want, who you really want to be. It wasn't even a question that I thought that I could ask myself. Yeah. And the mind is tricky. I think it hides dreams from us, not to be mean or anything, but because it might be awkward if we go for that or people might laugh or like I, I had a dream for, for 10 years and I didn't tell anybody for 10 years. I thought, you know, one day I'd like to really dive into acting. I'd like to go to LA and one year, two years, just like fully dive into it. Never told anybody. And then four months ago, I, it just, my brain said, Hey, maybe it's getting close to time to move to LA. So I started telling people and everything changed. So the mind can be very tricky to hide these things from us. I think we're creatures of habit and there's nothing wrong with that. If you love your life and you're enjoying every day, keep doing that. But the reason we watch, I think so many feel good movies and inspirational movies is we want to see what's possible. What else could we do? You know, the, the US and Russia were like, we're going to put a man on the moon. That's what we're going to do. Well, what's our version of that? The risk, if we don't follow, if we don't create and follow the life that we truly want to live, the risk is on our deathbed, we'll say, damn, if only, if only I'd, I'd asked for that, if only I'd gone for this in my business, if only I'd taken singing lessons, if only I'd, I'd, told people I love them more, whatever it is for you. And I don't, I don't want anyone to experience regret. So let's imagine that now being on our deathbed and like, what might we regret and then change what we're doing now so that that doesn't happen. That's a pretty simple coaching model. It is, but that, you know, our minds are, they're built to protect us. And that's where the fear of stepping out of our comfort zone comes into play. So, you know, in, in your coaching world, why do you, why have you seen that it's dangerous to stay in that comfort zone? Because of regret. I think, you know, regret's a horrible feeling. Like if only, or if I'd known this, or if I'd thought about this, I could have done something different. And if we Again, if you're loving everything about your life, then it's great. Stay, stay doing what you're doing. But if you're feeling like, you know what, maybe there's more, let's not have that experience of regret. Now, the catch is there is a price. You need to be willing to feel uncomfortable. And that, you know, that sounds kind of cliche. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm willing until it comes to that. I just did an acting class and, and the students were laughing while I was doing something on stage and I was trying to do it right, but I wasn't doing it very well and they're laughing. It wasn't a good experience for me. It's very uncomfortable. So something in me was saying, don't do that again. We don't want to feel like that, but that's exactly where the discomfort comes in. We need to be willing. If you've ever tried to learn an instrument, it's pretty humbling. You have to be willing to suck to start something new, like learning an instrument or singing or starting a business or coaching. You have to actually have some humility and that's uncomfortable. So 
As you were talking and doing the intro, I wrote down two things that slow us down. One is this desire for comfort. It's like, no, I don't want to feel scared. I don't want to feel stupid. Oh, you know, whatever it is. I don't want to feel rejected. That's one thing. And the other one, um, which we can talk about on this episode or not, is shiny object syndrome. So we want to stay comfortable, but we also want to follow every shiny thing. It's like, oh, look at this. I could do this. I could, I could do. Someone just called me three days ago and said, would you be interested in improvising music for our show? And I thought, that sounds like a really cool thing to do. I'd, I'd love to accompany you as you make up songs and I'll make up the music. And I said, yes. And then the next day I was like, there it is. There's that shiny object syndrome. What matters to me? And what matters is not improvising music for show. What matters right now is coaching and acting. Those are my, and self-care, right? Those are the three things. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that since I'd written it down. Comfort zone and shiny object syndrome. Those two things can lead to a life that may end up in regret. And when it comes to stepping out of your comfort zone, you know, it, it's been my experience that you're constantly in this sort of in and out phase of stepping out of your comfort zone and then you retreat to safety. And, you know, eventually the comfort zone grows, but then you find yourself stepping out again and stepping back in because, you know, you do, it's, it's you know, I think it's okay to retreat to safety, you know, gather yourself together but then be willing to do it all over again. And I've told people before that, you know, for me, you mentioned learning a musical instrument. I cannot, I do not understand music. I cannot, I can't even carry the beat to a song. So that's completely out of the window for me. But I relate it back to podcasting. The first few episodes that I, the first dozens of episodes that I did were uncomfortable and scary. And every time I turned on the mic, I was nervous. I was scared, but I kept doing it and I kept doing it and I kept doing it. And then here we are, you know, I've surpassed 200 episodes and it's not as scary, but now, now I have to grow more and I'm looking to build my, you know, build my brand and get better reach with a podcast. And so I start doing things like, little short videos on Instagram or TikTok or something like that. And that's scary. I talk all the time, but I turn on the camera and it's like deer in the headlights. Yeah. Well, you're pointing to something very important. I think you're demonstrating exactly how it works. You do something, it feels scary, it feels uncomfortable, but you keep on doing it and eventually you build more resilience. It's like, oh, that's not that scary for me anymore. For me, I was just thinking as, as I loaded up Zoom for this podcast, I was thinking how I don't feel the slightest bit nervous. There was a time showing up, not knowing the script, not knowing what we're going to talk about would be, you know, have me in a panic. I, I get a lot of stage fright, but I've now done 250, 300 interviews. So now it's comfortable. But then what happens? We look for the next thing which I think is how it's supposed to work. What's the next thing that would be edgy? Um, I've got a client right now who started a business that was very scary. Then the product took off and then Shark Tank approached him. And he's like, oh my God, I'm going to go on Shark Tank. Can you imagine how nerve wracking that would be? Now the shopping channel's reaching out to him and the Today Show's reaching out to him and he gets to experience more fear because your horizons expand. If you stay comfortable all the time, you won't have that experience. And which is also fine if you're loving it. But if you want more, if you want what we see in the movies, which is people going for it, then we need to deliberately practice discomfort and be willing to have that feeling that you had when you turned on the mic and you did that podcast and went gulp. Oh my God. I, I just said four months ago, I was going to get into acting. I started speaking my dream and someone said, well, why don't you come to an audition with me? And I was like, oh, I, like half of me is like, oh, no, hang on. I haven't even done a class yet. You want me to audition? But another part of me was like, this is how it goes. This is exactly how it looks. And this is how you're supposed to do it. 
So I was nervous as hell, went to the audition, read some lines, and they offered me the lead in a paid production. So now I'm a professional working actor. Actually, I did air quotes. I'm going to take those air quotes away. I'm a professional working actor. I just got my first check. And then, you know, after I did like, uh, I mean, it was terrifying doing the first performance. I'm like, what if I forget my lines? Oh my God, I'm going to let everybody down. Second one, very scary. Now I've done 13 performances of Dracula. I was, you know, yesterday was the last performance and on Halloween. And I re realized last night, I wasn't nervous while waiting for my big scene. Took 13 performances. But then you take that and go, well, what's next? So now I've joined an improv troupe and now I'm doing some short films. And each of those things are scary. Dan Sullivan has a great model on this. He says, everyone's waiting for confidence. We're waiting for confidence before we do something. I'll, be, I'll do that when I'm confident. I'll play the piano when I'm confident. I'll play in front of people when I'm confident. I'll speak. I'll do a podcast when I'm confident. I'll ask this celebrity when I'm really ready, got my stuff, got my shit together. You told me I could, I could swear on this podcast. So oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I nearly edited myself. Um, you know, but it, that's not how it works. If you wait for confidence, you may never do anything. All you need is courage which means you feel afraid, it's uncomfortable, and you decide to go ahead anyway. That's courage. And if you have courage and you keep doing it, you will ultimately develop competence. And then that is what leads to confidence. And by the time you have that, you'll probably pick, I say you'll have probably picked something new and different and you're back to needing courage. That, I think that's a really great model for life. It, yeah, it's a cycle that you keep going. If you're if you're growing in life, you're going to keep going yes. through it. But I think one of the the things that you have to embrace when you when you know you're about to step out of your comfort zone and you feel that fear is you kind of have to be okay if you suck because yeah. chances are, in some ways, you might suck because you've got the fear and your mouth might get dry or you might fumble a little bit or forget something but that's okay and I laugh because you know when I talk about my first few podcast episodes I think well nobody's going to listen to those anyways but now as the podcast grows I can see people going back and listening to those first shows and I'm like oh man I sucked in some of those but you know at least yep. people can see the journey for themselves and you know all too often we can get caught up in seeing somebody on their best days not even realizing all of the bad days they had to have to get there yeah i i i resonate with this i really think being willing to suck um like I, and i hate that i want to be great i want to be great at everything that's why when i did this acting exercise and people were laughing i was enjoying the class until then and then after that, I was nervous about doing this particular exercise because I know I'm not very good at it. I got to be willing to be humble and to, and to suck. And that's, that's hard. So anyone who's like, I don't want to suck at something, I totally get it. But there's freedom in it too. When I first started doing improv 30 years ago, I was so nervous every time. And I finally realized it was because I wanted everyone to see me as great at this. And compared to most of them, I was not. And that was a revelation. It's like, I'm, I'm not very good. I have moments, yeah, but I'm generally not very good. And that realization gave me a lot more freedom to go out there and just be me and, you know, relish those moments when they happen. And then um, when they don't, I have one improv teacher, you know, when you make a mistake, everyone goes, hey, ho. <laughs> you know, like you're kind of celebrating it, like, yeah, right on. And um, what a what a better way to, to live life than constantly trying to get every single thing right. But, you know, I think as a society, we're stuck in those, I call them the insta-perfect moments. You know, those, those pictures that are polished and they show like the best possible seconds that you're going through. And I think as a society, we're, we're stuck on being perfect all of the time. Oh. But instead, we should be sharing 
our vulnerability. And, and it's one of the things I try to do here on the podcast is share with people that, no, I struggle too. I still struggle with trying something new, stepping out of my comfort zone, um, embracing change. There are things that we all struggle with. Does it make a difference who you are, how big your name is? The challenges are all the same. I think this is a big problem we face in society that uh, they call it identity management on social media. And Joe Dispenza calls it the gap, the gap between who you really are and what you present to the world. I'm actually writing a book now about this and it's called Addressing the Mouse in the Room because the elephant is not alone. So we all know about the elephant. You see it, I see it, no, one, no one's saying anything. But there are so many things that I might be feeling, thinking, uh, emotions, body sensations that never make it out into the world. And I think the world would be a better place if we could clue people in as to what's really happening and shine some light on the shadow. The shadow is hurting us. In Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, uh, he, he talks about Ender ends up becoming something called a speaker for the dead. And when he does a eulogy, he does it very differently. He doesn't talk about all the shiny bits. He talks about the whole person. Th these were their unmet dreams. This is where they failed in what they tried to do. This is what they loved. The whole person. And I thought that's what we're looking for. When I started doing personal growth work, it's, it's basically constantly reveal what's going on, reveal what's going on. I had one teacher, one guru would say, share your inner dialogue. And particularly that last 5% that you don't want to share. So, you know, and I'd be sitting with a woman, I'd be feeling very attracted and I'd want to have sex. And I'd be like, um, this is going to kill me to say this, but I'm very attracted to you and I want to have sex with you. We did that over and over and over again, and it started to normalize. We're going to share. I'd be talking, and someone would say, you know, I'm not interested in this story. I'd be like, wow, that's amazing that you can say that. And they just tell me. I was like, all right, so now I can stop talking. So I'm a big fan of revealing what's going on to the world, and it is a shame that I'm part of it. I, I do identity management. When I share a clip of Dracula, am I going to share a, a, a terrible clip that shows me really bad? No, I'm going to pick the best clip and say, hey, look at this. So everyone sees that and goes, oh, I got to be shiny too. Um, I try and I, and I encourage my clients to share all of it. Hey, I've been struggling with anxiety and depression for 20 years. Um, Last night, I bought an ice cream Snickers bar and I am horrified with myself that I did that and, and put that into my body. You know, we can start to share all of it with people and that might give them permission to say, oh, wow, you can say that? Oh, maybe I'll say something about what's happening for me. I heard a speaker once get up on stage and he was training us for three days and halfway through he said, I'm terrified of people. And I just thought, you can say that? Like that's a, that's a thing. Plus you're a speaker and you're terrified of people. But it gave me a sense of how hard it was for him to follow his purpose and to be training people constantly because he's terrified. I'm like, I'm terrified too. Maybe I can say that. I just didn't know you could. And it's funny. Um, back, back in, I'll say back in the day, um, when you used to be able to rent a VHS tape to watch a movie at home. One of my favorite parts was if they had bloopers at the end where right. the actors mess things up. Right. But that's okay. It's okay to watch the bloopers. But when we look at it for ourselves, our own blooper reel, we're oh, horrified. We're horrified by it. And it's like, wait a second. If we can drop this perfectionism image that we have for ourselves and be okay with our own blooper reel, then imagine the vulnerability that we can open up in the world. Mm. I love that. What a great metaphor, a blooper reel of our own life. 
Let's celebrate it. Hey, yo. <laughs> there we There's go. There's a mistake. Boy, <laughs> messed that up. That was yeah. a big one. Or as I say, I shit the bed on that one. <laughs> shit what? I shit the bed. <laughs> shit the bed. Yep. It happens. Now, David, as we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share I, with our listeners? Yeah, I do. It, it's easy to hear this and think, oh, I have to really push myself. I have to really go for it. I say there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet zone that we're looking for. We don't want to play too safe and then 20 years later or five years later go, God, I really could have gone for more. I could have lived my life. But also we don't want to traumatize ourselves. So if speaking to a thousand people is too much for you at this stage, then don't do it. You go and speak to 10 people. Work your way up. If jumping off a mountain strapped to a paraglider um, is, is terrifying for you and you feel like it's beyond your edge and it'd be traumatizing, don't do it. You don't have to do any of that stuff. That was a big lesson I got from a friend of mine, Jonathan Horan, uh, from Sweat Your Prayers and Five Rhythms. He said, these things are the, will, will be there for you when you're ready. You don't have to do them now. You don't have to do them ever. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I've been pushing myself so hard. So most of us could use some pushing. And it's like, all right, we, you know, we'll step into some deliberate discomfort. And that's my invitation for this episode. Write down one thing that would be an edge for you and might have your life be better. One thing. And then decide if you're going to do it. But if it's too much, give yourself permission to say, okay. And you, you uh, preempted this earlier. You said we tend to like go for it sometimes and then we might retreat back into comfort and safety. Totally. That's a, that's a fine way to do it. There might be times in your life where you're like, okay, let's go for it. There might be other times when you say, I need a bubble bath and some ice cream and a feel-good movie, and I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. So you get to choose. I just think too often we tend to stay comfortable, so I talk a lot about getting out of that comfort zone. But I learned the hard way. If you go too hard and too fast, you can burn out, you can traumatize yourself, you find your own edge. And baby steps are okay. Yeah, you, totally. Baby, start with baby steps. If I you often, can't do the big step, do a baby step. Yeah, I often ask my clients and myself, what's one thing you'd be willing to do in that direction? So I, I wanted to um, connect with Alan Alder from MASH. He's been a hero of mine all my life. And I just wasn't doing anything about it. And finally, I thought, what's one step I'd be willing to do? research. I'd be willing to do 20 minutes of research, find an interview with him and read it to find out more about him. One thing led to another from that step and I ended up on a on a Zoom call with him and I got to uh, pitch him to be on my podcast. And he didn't say no. He said, reach out to my producer and we'll see what we can do. So that's still in progress. But it all came from what's one thing I'd be willing to do. Same with the acting. I said, I'd be willing to tell a couple of people. That's what I'm willing to do. And that led to an audition, which led to a play, which has led to four short films, which has led to an acting class and a singing coach and a whole bunch of stuff just for one step. That's great advice. And David, where's the best place for people to connect with you? I've got a, a link that will take listeners to a hidden page on my site where you can get a couple of free downloads I've created for you on how to achieve twice as much in half the time. And if you're interested in coaching with me, if you want to move faster towards your goals and to see some of your blind spots, there'll be a link there as well where you can request a 15-minute session. And I don't charge for that. That's how I find the right people to work with. And that's all that. Oh, and also you can listen to my podcast as well as the amazing Lucy Quigley uh, and you can get all that at myfocusgift.com. That's myfocusgift.com. To connect with David, make sure you check out the show notes. I will have all of the links in there. And David, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Great to meet you, Lucy. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Roller Coaster Podcast. Want to chat or share your ideas about today's show? Pop me an email at hello at therollercoasterpodcast.com. Don't forget to connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at the Roller Coaster Podcast. Our theme song, Roller Coaster, was performed by the Lucky Setback. Audio editing by the one and only Jeff Quigley of Quigley Creator. Life is like a roller coaster, baby. Bye.